0: Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. (laughs) You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts, especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond to dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributor and do not necessarily speak to the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Good morning, friends. I want to share some reflections on the gifts of Christmas. Let me start with a passage from Matthew. In the time of King Herod, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he asked where the Messiah was to be born. Then he sent the Magi to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word. When they had heard the king, the magi set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another path. And when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became enraged. He sent men to kill all the children in Bethlehem and throughout the surrounding region from the age of two and under, according to the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what had been spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud wailing, Rachel weeping for her children. And she did not want to be comforted because they were gone. <clears throat> in, this ma- <clears throat> excuse me. in this passage from Matthew, we read the familiar story about the Magi coming to visit Jesus. It is a strange, a strange story and only found in the Gospel of Matthew. There is no mention of the number of Magi, but in nativity scenes, they are represented as three because of the three gifts they bring. The story begins with a promise. This is the child king of the Jews, and it, and it ends with trauma, the massacre of the innocents. It is a story of the gift of divine hope in the context of human treachery and misery. The Magi are thought to be of Iranian origin who practiced magical arts and were adept at astrology. And they bring gifts to the baby Jesus. In doing so, they follow in a long tradition of bringing gifts to the gods in order to curry their favor. In the history history of religions, if you want the spirits, the ancestors, and later the gods to treat you well, you give them gifts. And the practice of gift-giving at Christmas is thought to have been motivated by this story of the Magi, offering gifts to Jesus as both God and King. But gifts at Christmas are not simply supplications to a God. They are responses to the gifts that God has given us at Christmas. What are the gifts of Christmas that we continue to celebrate 2,000 years on? About gifts. I have noticed that I often have a certain dread around Christmas and that dread is centered on gift giving. It stresses me out. Just this past Friday evening, as I was scrambling to think about this sermon and to get on a plane to bring me to Portland, a friend of mine called and said she wanted to come by and drop off a gift. How dare you, I thought. This may strike you as a strange reaction, but for me, it was the absolute right one because Stephanie's gift put pressure on me to return with a gift in kind. I know there is a sense that gifts come with no strings attached. If you read the etiquette columns, you'll hear that gifts should be given and received without conditions. Once you receive a gift, the giver has no say in what happens to it. They have no claim on it. It's supposed to be freely given without expectations, and it's bad form to expect something in return when you give a gift. But I'm a sociologist of a sociologist of religion. So I'm particularly interested in the moral meaning of gifts and in my own reaction to Stephanie's overture. I'm interested in the social function of gifts. And here it is clear that gifts do come with conditions. In fact, they are loaded with them. Just as our ancestors gave gifts to establish good relationships with their gods and their neighbors, so we give gifts to build relationships with one another. And in this way, too, they can be seen as reflections of the gifts that we receive from God. Gifts are symbolic expressions of a desire for connection and intimacy. So Stephanie's gift asked me a question about the depth and nature of our relationship. Gifts are social symbols of connection. And if you're like me and are not good at thinking about gifts, then it's a challenge. It's a challenging time of year. Sociologists note that gifts come with what are called obligations. They're not transactional in the way of commercial exchanges, but they are a kind of exchange. We also exchange letters and smiles and vows. And these like gifts are not economic exchanges, but they do have their own currency. And gifts are more like smiles or vows than they are like purchases. They are expressions of our mutual concern, obligation, commitment, or desire for relational depth. And gifts don't just signal these relationships, they help create them. They help us forge connections and build communities. And in fact, sociologists note that gifts are a fundamental social, gift giving is a fundamental social activity which helps both create and deepen the bonds of solidarity between people. Every tribe, every village, every community has its practices of gift giving. It is one of the ways we constitute society. It is how we create and strengthen our families, our friendships, our communities, and our tribes. It is how we define ourselves as social beings. And in the Christian story, it is how God invites us into a relationship with him and how we engage in that divine relationship. But back to the Magi. What are the gifts of Christmas? Not the gifts of the Magi, but the gifts of the child Jesus. What are the promises and challenges that come with these gifts? And what are the obligations that attend them? In Matthew's account, the birth of Jesus represented the arrival of life in the face of death. Every life is sacred, every birth a miracle, and every life threatened. The story of Jesus' birth affirms this universal truth. In the face of war, disease, loss, pain and suffering, in a world where leaders will separate us from our children, will imprison them or send them off to war, we keep having babies. We keep saying yes to life. And in the story of Matthew, a single poor young pregnant girl finds herself giving birth to a beautiful child in a dingy hut under difficult and trying circumstances. A poor Jewish kid born without status, living under occupation in a Roman empire not an auspicious beginning. And yet, here we are 2000 years later, celebrating that birth, a birth that expresses the gift of every birth, the gift of life in the face of death and the prospects of hopes that it brings. But beyond life, Christmas also offers the gift of divine presence. We read that it's not just any kid that's born, it's God's kid. And the end of the story is resurrection. This means means that we aren't in this alone, even when we find ourselves without friends, when we are abandoned, alienated, and isolated, there is the prospect of the divine presence. Still, Christmas offers the gift of Jesus' presence, not just then, but now. And there are a lot of ways to express this. I grew up in the evangelical world where we talked about a personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus was right here inside of me, in my heart. And so I never needed to be alone. And in the Quaker tradition, which I've married my way into, I've learned about the inner light, that of God in each of us, or the spirit of God within. In these terms and others, Christians have articulated the experience of God's presence in our lives. We don't have to cajole our gods to pay attention, to come close. God is there for us. The Christian claim is that God is with us always, even unto death. We are never alone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. But beyond this, Jesus' birth, according to the Christian story, also represents the possibility of reconciliation, for forgiveness, for overcoming the burdens of human cruelty, of misfortune, and even death. This is central to the gospel. Jesus came to show us how to be reconciled one to another, and to be reconciled to God. According to the Christian story, through Jesus's birth, the divine one is reaching out to us with a bid for reconnection in the form of the gift of his son, the gift of God's son. Sin and discord are not the end. We are sinners, yet Jesus sees us as brothers and sisters. We screw up, but Jesus offers forgiveness and a way back into relationship, both with each other and with God. Every day we hurt each other. We are estranged from one another. And yet Jesus insists that we can repair and restore even the most broken relationships. He teaches us to forgive and to forge a future together. So these three gifts brought on that first Christmas, the gift of life, the gift of divine presence, and the gift of reconciliation, represent the divine side of the first Christmas gift exchange. The first gifts of Christmas were from God The Magi's gifts were in response to that. And for the last two millennia, we have have been engaged in this divine economy, receiving the gifts of Jesus and sharing them with others. I teach on unit two at River Bend Maximum Security Prison in Tennessee, which is the housing unit for death row. There are 60 men there waiting execution. And I usually have 10 to 15 insiders along with 10 to 15 divinity students in a class that I teach there each semester. Since COVID, we have not been able to have class, and so these men are really on my mind this season. But I can tell you that the gifts of Christmas, the gifts of life under conditions of death, the gifts of presence in the face of loneliness, and the gifts of forgiveness and reconciliation in the face of guilt, shame, and alienation are more than just the stuff of Bible stories and Christmas pageants on unit two. You don't end up on death row unless you have been adjudicated as irredeemable by the state. Typically this means your crime was egregious, rape and murder or a child murder or multiple murders. In other words, the tale of trauma on unit two is profound. It is deep, deep and long. And I've been struck by how many of the men I work with are all in with an evangelical form of Christianity. An attorney friend of mine told me about a judge who would routinely say, Jesus must really hang out in prisons because everyone there is his friend. He said this with cynicism, but I understand it. The principal experience of life on death row are precisely those that the gifts of Christmas address. First, these are people whose lives have been forfeited. They are awaiting execution. Nobody cares. But Jesus says their life still is sacred it still matters. Second, there is a profound loneliness and sense of isolation there. Many of those on death row are abandoned by their family and friends. They are isolated. Society has turned its back on them. It's hard to visit even if you want to. There are so many barriers. One of the men who takes my classes, Harold, has not had a visitor in 20 years. And when I ask the men what gives their life joy, they are unanimous that it is the few letters and visits that they do receive from outsiders, connecting them to the wider world. The Christmas story is the story of Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas marks the arrival as Jesus as the son of God on earth, and he becomes a friend who can live in our hearts and accompany us in our darkness. The idea for some of my students of accepting Jesus into their hearts is to be no longer alone, to always have a friend on the unit and a friend who loves and cares for them. It is also true that the majority of people who do visit them in prison are Christians and often of the evangelical variety. This is a powerful gift, the gift of God's presence in their lives, which is is not abstract in evangelicalism, but is personalized. And the third gift is the gift of forgiveness and reconciliation. Again, in the Christmas story, No matter what we have done, God can forgive us. This comes as a profound gift to those who bear the guilt and shame that accompany a death sentence. One of the men in my class, in a fit of drunken rage, murdered four people within two minutes, including his wife, the mother of his children. It's horrifying to think about, but he has to live with this and with the fact that he took the life of his children's mother, and now has saddled them with a father on death row, with its own attendant shame and loneliness. He told me that they are worse than parentless because of him. I can tell you forgiveness from every sin will preach in that context. So too does the idea of conversion, of becoming a different person and of leaving your old identity behind. Several of the men have changed their name as a symbol of this desire to become other than they were. More than life, more than accompaniment, Jesus offers them the prospect of reconciliation and renewal. There are no irredeemables with Jesus. It was Jesus who told the story of the prodigal son. Once we were alienated, but now we can be reconciled with God, with our fathers and mothers, with our brothers and sisters, friends and family. We may be despised and spit upon, but Jesus remains our friend. There is hope in this gift. Most of the men I encounter on death row grew up in terrible circumstances. Theirs was a history of trauma and violence, of chaos and confusion, and they have sown the whirlwind themselves. Christmas offers the gift of an end and a transformation of violence and suffering. It offers hope in the face of near hopelessness. It offers a way to get up in the morning and take another step. Another breath. The gospel has never felt as real to me as it does when I am visiting these men on death row because I've never seen such pain, such brokenness, and such anguish. The Christian message is more than a story for kids an occasion to hide (laughs) an elf on a shelf and exchange presents. It It is a chance to consider the true gifts of God for all God's people. My my experiences there has slapped me out of a kind of theological skepticism, and it has made me appreciate Christmas again for its shocking gifts to this world. So these are some of the gifts that we find in the Christmas story, the gifts of life, the gift of God's presence and of reconciliation. These are themselves though embedded in their shadow, the realities of death, of loneliness, and of broken relationships. These realities can make the message of Christmas hard to bear at times. For many of us, Christmas is a difficult time. And this Christmas, I am reminded that these gifts can be experienced as empty promises. That for some of us, there is no star in the dark sky guiding us this year. There is only this story in an ancient book. Without the people to live out these gifts, they are not shared. But I'm also reminded that we are called to be witnesses to the gifts of Christmas. We are called to pass on these gifts of life by supporting life-giving measures and activities, by offering God's presence to others, and by being present to them ourselves, and to being open to reconciliation so that we can heal the wounds in our lives and in the lives of those in our communities. Because while gifts are technically free, they are not unconditional. If we have experienced the gifts of Christmas ourselves, Then we have responsibilities and obligations to advance these in the world. They put us into relationship with one another. They beg of us a response. So why do we give gifts at Christmas? The sociologist in me says we give gifts to create bonds of trust and mutual obligation. But the side of me that wants to be Christian says we give gifts in recognition of the gifts conveyed to us from God through the birth of the baby Jesus. As we are able May we pass along the gifts that we have received this Christmas and each day that we have breath. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. We're really happy that so many of you are finding it to be helpful and as a way to stay connected with what's going on with us here at West Hills Friends. If you'd like to stay connected with us in other ways, we have a couple options for you. You can check out our website, it's WesthillsFriends.org. There you'll find some more information about who we are as a community. You can also follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook account by just searching for West Hills Friends. You can also follow us on Instagram. We have a Instagram account with the name West Hills Friends. So We hope that you'll get connected with us in other ways. And again, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast.